Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to bring on Robert Jacobs to talk about the immune system. This is the fourth part of our curriculum, diving into immune system within our nutritional course. The big thing Rob and I dived into is all of the nuance that we need to understand about how the immune system can impact performance and training, but then a lot of the practical aspects. Rob did an amazing job talking about all the ins and outs and what he's focusing on with his clients and athletes. If you are not a member of PH Podcast, highly recommend you become one. This gets you access to all four aspects of the module, as well as a forum to try to talk about, which I post plenty of other aspects related to that topic. phpodcast.com. Become a member, you get access to all the modules. Strength Deficit is available for order. This is your go-to resource to leveraging eccentric versus concentric ratios to peak for certain aspects of performance. That's also available at phpodcast.com, as well as Realize.me, our official sponsor. This is your command center for all health and performance data. This is what I use to track all of my wearable info, all of my wellness, all of my workloads, everything in one single source. I've been doing a four-part blog series, so if you head over to realize.me, you can see how I utilize the platform, how I get as much as I possibly can from running experiments on top of collecting information. It's an amazing resource. Highly recommend you head over to realize.me, get on their beta and become a member for their platform. Without further ado, let's bring on Rob. Let's talk about the immune system. All right, everybody, we got our good, good friend, Robert Jacobs over at the Rack and Polycom Performance. Really excited. Today, we're going to be talking about the immune system, which is um, potentially a very intimidating subject matter. But hopefully, if you've gone through the modules at this point on the website, that you have a little bit more of a, a context of where we're coming from, from a coaching perspective of not trying to go super deep on it, but what are some outcome measures like body composition, lean muscle mass that we kind of say, yeah, immune system's in a good spot or maybe potentially not. But before we get into all that, I want to give the floor to Rob, go over what you've been up to lately. Cause it seems like you got a lot going on and, uh, and then kind of go through other, some other stuff that we'll kind of talk about as we make our way through this experience. Yeah, man. The, uh, so we've, we've had a big, a big fall, um, reproductive falls so where we're finally launching uh, the the new I guess the new era of polyquin performance um, we just taught our first biosignature course for the company I think since 2016 um, so we've got we've got the new crew and uh, things seem to be going pretty good so far so we we, we just mapped out our schedule for 2023 and uh, we're gonna have about a week of courses I think each month uh, in, in different parts of the world. So we, we should be hitting, should be hitting an area near everyone at some point here. If you, if uh, you look, take these. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's usually the, the big limiting factor. So be, actually I think it's a good segue. Uh, Hey, Polycom performance ramped up. If you weren't aware, there was a, a guy named Charles Poliquin who basically just brain dumped everything he ever thought of into all of the Poliquin courses obviously huge impact on both your, you and myself. Uh, I think one of the first things that we came across when we probably went to Poliquin stuff was where do you start? So someone's never heard of this. Someone's now seeing some of the great 
coaches that have come through the system. Hey, Rob, where do I go and where do I start if I wanted to traverse the whole polycrim performance, uh, just scope of courses that you have? So, you know, Charles was a, obviously a genius um, with, with coaching. So we've got really three different uh, tracks or, or educational paths. Uh, if you're, you know, the Uber geek, like, like most of us, you, you'll, you'll want to do the biochemistry, nutritional biosignature. Uh, and then if you're, you know, the strength coach side only, and you're, you've got a nutritionist to do your work for you, you would do the, the PICP tracks, which is going to be the, you know, learning structural balance, learning the, the structural balance screening, what the ratios are, and some of the new things that, that um, we're adding to that are going to be more on the program design side and the, and the functional anatomy side where you're looking at, okay, we've got this imbalance, but what does that actually mean? And, and how do we actually incorporate that into a program? Um, and then, you know, guys like John Sikora are, are starting to bring in some of the tech, like, like you like to use a lot with Nord boards and some of that, some of the testing that's just so valuable um, is going to be brought in a little bit. And then um, some of the, some of the guys like me and, and Dave Lawrence are going to be doing some of the, the neurotransmitter side of things as we start to actually get to a level five course uh, where it's more than just an achievement, there'll actually be an education component to that too. And then we've even got, uh, you know, some of the, the, the tract I've recommended to some people who don't have a, um, an exercise science, exercise phys background in, in secondary education is just a personal training tract. You know, if you're, if you're just getting started and don't really know anything about, you know, coaching someone, PICP might be a little, a little over your head at first and biosignature probably a little bit uh, too deep of water, but we do have a personal training course where you'll be introduced to things like tempo. You know, if, if tempo is foreign to you and you don't know what that is, or if you don't know why timing your rest is like super important or valuable, um, uh, the online personal training course is kind of a great dipping your toe in the water to see what, what the Poliquin system is really all about. And then it becomes this all encompassing thing. Uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the things that we're really excited about getting into is <clears throat> having some sort of track or course for the guys that like to do both, you know, like that, that was kind of missing before. It's like, are you've got, you've got biosignature knowledge, you've got PICP knowledge. They never really merged in terms of like how you really put the training and the nutrition together for the guys that had those skills. Um, so, that we, you know, we're looking to try to, see what what we can do there to really make uh, have an asset you know with with doing both because uh, like for me and i mean really for all of us that are on the team right now we all did both and it was yeah, i mean i think we you and i've talked about this before it was like life-changing career changing for us you know those two sides of the coin like how just how much we could do and and being a one-stop shop sort of or at least having the, the tools and the skills where you could troubleshoot things that were in your scope and, and troubleshoot them better than your, your competitors. Yeah. You know, I think, and I mean, I got some great PICP stories and I got some great biosig stories and just some amazing experiences. But, you know, one of the things that I think comes up quite a bit when you're either working as a personal trainer somewhere or working as a, a strength coach at a school or with a team in some capacity you know, is this idea of, hey, I'm going to go to this seminar. It's a great unknown. And be, I can't tell you how many times I went to anything polycrine related where I was the only college strength coach in the actual place. And 
either I'm either going way off the beaten path that I'm going in the wrong direction, or, you know, I'm the only one who has any bit of courage to kind of go into some areas and domains either I'm not competent in or, um, or quite frankly, just against the grain of what everyone else was doing. But I think it, and then this is going to be a question here in a second, but you know, one of the things that I really wanted to kind of figure out was how do I extend my skill set and my ability further than I probably ever imagined uh, from being a practitioner and a coach? It was getting around people that know a lot more than me or uh, who are getting part of groups that are pushing their thresholds and boundaries of what they're doing. So you're a personal trainer, you're a college trained coach, does whatever you are. Rob, what is the what is the benefit of going to a Pollock and performance coach uh, per course for either of those people that maybe they don't fully appreciate right off the bat? Is it the community? Is it the, is it the education? Is it the uh, ability to talk to other coaches who take this incredible level of knowledge and practically apply it? Like, or is it a combination of it all? We're, we're like, you like the person goes to you, Rob, and says, "Hey, I want to go to a uh, Poliquin course, whether it's BioCP, ICP, or the combination of track. You know, what am I going to get out of it? What is your response to that? How do you answer that to them?" So that one, you know, if you ask a lot of the guys in in the situation that, that you and I are in, you know, I think community tends to be pretty high on their list. Um, you know, the the relationships that you that you build you know, suffering through 15 workouts of the hypertrophy boot camp, right? <laughs> you know, right. Like that's, that's a bonding experience for most people. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even the community aspect of uh, the, the forums that we had, you know, like there were in the, God, in the 15 years that I've been in the Poliquin community, no matter how complex the problem that someone presented to the community in the forum, there was always an answer from someone and usually multiple answers from multiple different perspectives. Um, but you know, like it, Charles had an answer in some form or fashion to everything, or he would find it, you know, he would, he would go get it if he didn't know it. And so as far as the community goes like that, that aspect is huge because you've got, you know, like your, my experiences and the people that I work with the most are going to shape my beliefs on what I think is important and what I'm, you know, like what I'm working with and, and what I can impart to you as a student, but also that's going to be different for everyone else. You know, the, the environment and Dave Lawrence's experiences are going to be way different than, than mine, you know, like, I mean, e even if we were both collegiate strength coaches, right? Like my experience coaching MMA versus your experience coaching football or coaching football at different schools in different parts of the country, uh, you know, so that that's a big aspect of the community because you're going to see different, uh, different backgrounds, different personalities, or right? just different sports. Um, but th for me, the the draw was always the the massive amount of in depth knowledge that I was given. You know, because I've done, you know, I've, I've been to other organizations seminars. Um, I don't know if we want to call anybody out or not. But I've been to like multiple two to three day seminars from from one organization in particular. And in total, I've got like a page and a half of notes. And I think all of those came from Cal Dietz and, uh, and Judd Logan, you know, and there was like nothing else worth writing. 
and I've, I've been to other, you know, seminars, like somebody, somebody came to our gym once uh, for an entire day. And I, I think I wrote down two things, um, it, you know, but, it, but you go to a, a course with Charles, I mean, shit, we did a, a 60 minute, like basically parking lot session with Charles once because he showed up somewhere and I had like five pages of notes, <laughs> you know? Um, <clears throat> so for me, and, and I mean, you know, I, probably you as well, those of us that really care about, you know, okay, that's great, but how does this work? And why does, why does the way this works matter? That was always the draw for me. And I, and I realized that's, that's kind of a drawback in some ways because we get like, you know, I want to know down to the molecular thermodynamic level, how something works. Whereas, you know, some of the guys that showed up at biosignature, like, uh, I, I don't even know what an electron is. How do I get a 12 week transformation? (laughs) You know, so we've, I I think we're going to have enough, you know, having three levels of biosignature, I think we're going to get to all of that. And level one, much like PICP is more of a, a diagnostic tool to see where someone is at currently and and how to track that progress right so like you can say what you will with all the negatives and all the things that 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 people have attempted to to say bad about biosignature it's still a very accurate way to track your progress in one aspect you know we we've got all those things with with like you know the realize me platforms and all the data that we can track purely performance based but you know that this biosignature was really one of the first if not the first system to really accurately track something like body composition, you know, very minutely, like what, what did this site do and what does that site mean? So, so community and, and in-depth information, I think is, are, are the two, the two best things. I mean, like I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the job I have now teaching with Polyquin performance if it weren't for the Polyquin community, you know? So I think it really, you know, I mean, and, and, and in, probably in a lot of ways I wouldn't have uh, the, the, the friendship and the opportunities with you and that you've given me over the last few years, if it wasn't for that community, you know, like you, you and I have that bond and, and that knowledge that I got from that bond, I think is, is how, you know, we sort of came together uh, and all that stuff too, you know? So I think that's a, those are the the two most important things. And I don't think you get a lot of those at, at, at some places, like you either get <laughs> two ends of the spectrum. Uh, but I think the, the Poliquin, lineage sort of that you know both of those things are at its core yeah you know it's funny as you were describing it and i have some like again i told you i already have a lot of amazing picp and biosig stories but you know as you're describing other seminars and other events it's the it's a consistency it's the integrity in which things are done and granted it's not for everybody um going back to the old charles stuff but the charles red red, red led courses but I distinctly remember, and I still have one of my best friends who I hired at Army West Point, I met at a Poliquin seminar, but I remember walking in with literally a rock star energy drink, and he was like, I didn't even know him. He's like, the fuck you doing? Better fuck throw that away before Charles slapped it out of your hand. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where am I walking into? Like, there's a zero chance that guy would knock anything out of my hand. I'm a paying customer, right? Like, fuck off. And... <laughs> and sure enough, I'm like reading the room, I'm like, 
well, damn it. Everybody in here is pretty fucking bought in. And I'm the only asshole right now with an energy drink and a protein bar, like fueling up for the day, quote unquote. And, uh, and uh, I remember seeing in the corner this big like canteen or like the like cauldron of like uh, coffee and then heavy cream next to it. And then various coaches either eating sardines or lots like, <laughs> oh, nuts. And it's like, and then just taking there like literally like this fucking I just box full of pills and like, and you're just like, all right, man, like whether it's just dramatically built up for this is, I'm only doing this for a week to impress the people around me, or um, it's genuinely what they do year round. You know, some people's body comp would tell you otherwise, but, uh, <laughs> right. uh, but either way, like Charles <laughs> watching and everyone kind of got in line. And uh, I think that level of consistency, which, I don't think we necessarily like think about it, but subconsciously we are validating what that person's going to say based off the compliance in which everybody in that audience is doing it. And I can tell you some of another conference that conferences that I've gone to that you get to day three of three and then someone walks in with a box full of donuts and everyone's like, Hey, everybody got some donuts for everybody. Like, I don't think it's the end of the world if someone has a donut and I don't think it's the wrong thing, but what does that say about that person's willingness to do what's necessary for not only themselves, but their clients down the road. And I, I just yep. have this feeling that like, all right. And then after that, right. And I've been to several other conferences where it's like, just waiting to go get hammered. And it's like, great, <laughs> like, a great way to connect with people. And I've been right there with them. That's not, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite and saying that I didn't, indulge in these things because it's a pseudo our vacation but when you go to a poliquin seminar and you're seeing the level of compliance and the intensity of that compliance you're like i'm in a i'm in a world right now that genuinely believes what they're doing is right and follows through with that and the next level is you go to another conference which is like hey we're going to really lean in on this aspect of either movement or just aggressive nutrition or whatever it is and then just be kind of nonchalant about these critical other areas like right so i'm at a movement seminar crushing donuts sucking on energy <laughs> things and then i'm at a strength seminar where you're getting shit face eating whatever the hell you want and it's like the the consistency or the hypocrisy that you could potentially say from that is you know just it, it, it's leaving this like line that you go I don't know if they're fully all about it. Right. And then I don't think I ever felt that way from a, a, a Poliquin led seminar. And there's obviously the outliers that like, oh, I'm just going to, I am who I am and I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm going to buy into this level of, of intensity in this area versus like the person that did do the PIOSIG and the PICP level one through four or five. And they're like, they're about it, man. They're not, they're not just, they're walking that walk, which I think as a, a coach, someone that wants to pull yourself to the highest standards, you know, getting into that domain of like, this isn't something that is, a, I'm not a hobbyist. I'm not a person looking for, you know, fun weekend with the boys here. Like I really want to be good. And then you're seeing like literally people just drinking coffee with heavy cream, or as we used to joke, heavy creme and, uh, <laughs> and uh, eating sardines and Brazil nuts with with a little bit of uh, Himalayan sea salt on there because you want to get that iodine and and the uh, everything in there. Like this is this is quite a 
quite an intense world. And then the, the, uh, what I always used to joke about it's either the, uh, 11 to one, uh, pilgrimage, either whole foods or Chipotle and then <laughs> right. together. Right. And it's like, God dang, man, these guys are not. And I remember joking about it with John, like when we were at PICP level four at his spot and spear was like, the people that don't go to Whole Foods for lunch, I think less of right now because it's like <laughs> you have to give the, pre- the pretense that this is you, right? This is like I am 100% all in on this for at least for this week, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, I just think that pre- like that that whole thing about it. But that I didn't realize how much I coveted that consistency aspect of you're, you're, you're telling me to do this and you genuinely believe that's the way to do it by your actions. And um, I don't think there was any other conference like that and the intensity yeah. that you had to get in line from the top down, um, to all the coaches and everyone that, um, was teaching or supporting it. I mean, shoot, even to the part where you kind of like meander around the building down in the old East Greenwich location and you get down to the bottom floor and you see the minions of writers of the writers or like basically collecting your payment from the polyquin world of like even doing the same thing, right? Like just there was a hundred percent compliance from everybody included, at least for that week, who knows about the full year, but right. that, that's, and that could be, that could come off as like cultish, but like the reality is it's like, I think if you genuinely believe that's the way to do it and you don't actually do it, this says a lot about your character, about what you actually yeah. believe in. Um, which yeah. Is right. Hard. Um, but I think that's, I think that's the real appeal. It's like, you know, yeah. I not only believe this, I, I do this and um you realize how inconsistent other places are about it but um yeah but and and it begets it i feel like it sort of snowballs upon itself too you know like you you go to a course for five or six days and and you you buy into that and you do that and then you start to feel pretty good and you get home and you know like for me i was like oh gosh if if these guys are doing this you know like i i i can't eat oatmeal anymore i gotta i gotta get on the the meat and nuts breakfast like everybody else is doing that you know and they're doing it all the time even if they aren't you know you're you're thinking these things yeah and you got to set the example you know if i'm going to ask people and tell people to do this um and one of the things with charles too uh, that i always felt like it the interventions that just something simple like the meat and nuts nuts breakfast always had such an immediate impact too you know and i i think that's kind of what he went for too it's like he wouldn't tell you to I don't know, to take a supplement that you couldn't feel, right? Like that's not, that's kind of not how you started. Right. And yeah. and that's one of the things that we sort of teach. Like if you can, if you can get somebody a good night's sleep that hasn't been sleeping by, by any intervention, whatever it is, even if it's just journaling, I mean, like you've got your hook in them, right? That like, that is a very profound thing to do for someone. If you can help them get over a little bit of their morning brain fog, so they don't have to slam stimulants all the time. Like that's a big thing. And, and that's, that's where I think Charles was so good and the concepts that he brought forth uh, and even putting different concepts together to, to further concepts. You know, I I think those are, those are lasting parts of his legacy that are some of the most important ones. Yeah. Um, Which is cool, man. And I think, I mean, you got, you got all of that and then you got hypertrophy boot camp, which is going to be the, the ultimate Testament to living a life of, of Spartan esque, level of discipline you know um because if not you won't make it so uh oh, man you pay damn good money to be there and travel across the world to be there so you better get your full investment back from training for it preparing for it and then fully vested in it while you're there because that's 
that's that is what you learn is like hey there's there's a, a ability or a threshold people are willing to go to you need to know what your threshold is and seeing if you can surpass it and uh, yeah that's a great place to do that man so i'm excited for you guys man. Uh, this is oh, cool. thank you bud yeah man um and it's cool to see the the group that you guys have assembled and everything else and it's just yeah i highly recommend it uh based off of one obviously our personal experience with the whole plethora of information but then uh the team you guys have assembled and you guys are aligning yourself with some other great people and it's gonna be fun man i'm excited to see this take off yeah thanks man i appreciate it all right uh so we did uh we want you here to talk about some immune system rob so um you know i want to set the stage here of okay let's let's look at this from a strength coach perspective which is going to be the majority of our listeners if there are doctors or physical therapists out there that are listening to this uh you know, I appreciate it. Um, and what we want you guys to know is that we are fully aware of our scope and we understand what the, I guess, I don't want to call them limits, but I want to say the, the focal points we have, right? So like I always say, like, I know what not to do by doing diagnostic tests and screens. So with that all being said is here we go. You're looking at a person and you're saying, I want to help this person's body comp. I want to improve their lean muscle mass, decrease their fat mass. I want them to perform at a higher level. I want them to sprint faster, jump higher, throw something faster or further. You know, so what are you thinking about from a, a short-term plan of how the immune system is going to impact any, if all of those goals before we kind of go into anything else? Is that even on your radar or is it, oh, I'm not going to worry about it until after the fact, or I'm just going to do time-tested proven methods and I should organically take care of itself. Like what was, what's your initial thought of where immune system plays in when you're trying to help anybody towards their goals? So, you know, when we, when we look at the immune response, right, as a, as a strength coach that how it determines essentially how hard we can train a client, right? If you're, if you're overstressed, if we know you've got a crap immune system coming into training, I can't take these awesome methods, methods like six, twelve, twenty-five, or whatever, and throw that on somebody who I know, you know, previously has a crap immune system. And if we look at things like being over fat, right, it, you you essentially end up seeing what amounts to be like a chronic hyperactivity or hyperactivation of of mTOR, um, right? And and it's not like like chronic mTOR and muscle tissue is not a bad thing. We we would all agree that that's like you know, top notch, but, but what, but there's a difference. And, and I think this is one of the things where the, the whole mTOR being good versus mTOR being bad kind of gets lost is that if we're, if we're only seeing mTOR and muscle tissue, that's never really a bad thing, even if it happens all the time, but you can have mTOR everywhere else. You can have mTOR and adipose tissue. It's definitely not a great thing. So yeah. um, right. When we see that, that increase in body fat, or especially like a, just being over fat, um, with, with obesity, we see that hyperactivity of mTOR and then that's going to lead to uh, like the Treg cells, right? And it's going to inhibit Treg cell proliferation, which is probably not going to be a great thing because downstream from that, you start to see uh, that reduction in the, in the, in the T cells or T regulator cells leads to increases in the inflammatory cells like Th1, CD8, macrophages. Um, and then when you start to add training onto that, it, it becomes this whole thing of, well, the immune system's busy doing all this stuff in other places. And now we're throwing these training demands onto it. 
and we're either not going to recover from training or we're not going to do anything to mitigate body fat storage. Right. So, so that's kind of where we're looking at it first, like body comp does matter. You know, you, we get into these things in terms of performance where body comp matters, obviously, right. Like, you you know, Charles always used to say you can't flex fat. Um, So having too much fat doesn't really help you in terms of athletic endeavors. Too much fat can actually slow down the, the rate that a muscle can contract if there's too much kind of in the way, right? You can get, get fat in the way of muscle. Um, you know, if we get you leaner and more muscular, you'll be tends to be more insulin sensitive. So you can get more out of your nutrients. Um, we get you lower in body fat. You're going to perform better. You're going to be faster. There'll be less inf- inflammation again to fight, right? Cause that's essentially what, recovery from training is, is your, your immune system is like productive inflammation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really when we, when we get down to it, um, yeah, there's more to it than that kind of, if we get like deep, but essentially if we're breaking it down to the basics, you know, you, you, you stub your toe and it turns red and then it gets better. And that's sort of what happens from training. Uh, it, but it, it's a positive, you know, it's a stress versus distress, right? It's a positive uh, it's a positive stressor. So that's where things like the biosignature system, I think make a big difference because you can, you can not only get a reading on what your overall body fat percentage is, what your, uh, how much lean mass you have, how that body fat is regionally distributed. And in terms of clinical applications, what that regional distribution of body fat can indicate as a primary, you know, hindrance of getting leaner from a metabolic standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, so we're starting off with a client and we see them and you're going, okay, this person wants X and you start to look at the body comp and you see they're either like, just from a, let's say from a BMI standpoint, they're morbidly obese and their distribution of body fat is 20% and above, right? Or 30%, which is not that uncommon. Uh, automatically your default is whatever it is I want to do is all going to be rate limited by the fact that this person metabolism and just overall immune response is set up for storage of fat. And they're going to have a downstream from anything that we do, whether it's excess food, sedentary behavior, even into now I'm adding in a exercise stimulus into this to being either not building muscle tissue or utilizing fat as energy and fighting to stay in that homeostatic set point. So with that being said and going in that direction, you know, even going, let's go back to that mTOR response, which mTOR is that enzymatic property that starts to signal protein synthesis, you know, that stress that we're kind of creating that you stress, distress, like, whatever that line is, right? So it's coming down and feathers off into positive or negative. You know, what is the, what is that? I guess, and I want to set this up in a way that hopefully it leads into a, a more deeper conversation, but that mTOR pathway that it, also too, the one that often is forgotten, it's actually associated with cancer tissue, right? Or cancer cells, right? mTOR pathway. Yep. So it's where like the excess protein kind of comes into play of don't eat too much protein because you can give yourself cancer. That's, <laughs> but I digress. But the other thought of like, okay, like this person wants, usually because what that person's going to go is, hey, I don't like who I am right now. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel. You have to help me get me out of this. 
and I want I want the goods, man. I want that six twelve twenty five. I want this fasting approach. I want everything that you could throw at me that's intense and and aggressive that is going to get me out of this as fast as humanly possible. But your reaction to that is you have an overreaction to these things in a negative way because your immune system is just not set up positively to do that because it's leading to these downstream effects of mTOR. And I guess this is more of a psychological question, but you know, with the body burden of knowledge and knowing that this immune system is so compromised, you know, how do you temper expectations and explain this in a way to this person that more stress in this point here is actually going to be bad for a while? And like, is there a marker within that you go, hey, as soon as we can get to this like 15% mark or we start to make some progress, like we're making a 3% change in body comp, like now we can start to lean in on more positive or more intense methods because you're making this net change. Um, what is your like default here from a psychological standpoint? And then what is your like go-to metric to go, okay, now I can start to titrate up intensity or or certain things are going to be more uh, rate supporting in terms of like now catalytic towards your change so i think uh you know a really good starting point obviously with nutritional interventions when we depending on the client's current state right if we if we start to really overhaul and and pull out all the abundant carbohydrates that are in the diet your training you know has to reflect that at first right like you you we all know if, if I make a dramatic change, like we, everybody's probably heard of the keto flu um, or at least that feeling, right? You pull carbohydrates out, that instant energy that you can draw from carbohydrates, uh, you're going to feel that in training. I mean, we've all probably felt it before. Like, ah, oh, you know, you start a lower carbohydrate diet uh, or even a you know no carbohydrate diet, 50 grams or whatever, no starch, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the energy's not there, right? Because like one of the things I think we talked about in our our last podcast was the difference in those the seasonal approaches is that we know the the carbohydrates are they don't fill the tank as full, but they fill it faster. Whereas the fats, you know, they're gonna they're gonna fill the gas tank, but it takes them longer to do it. And if we start to pull those those carbohydrates out, we have to allow for that in training. So one of our our hacks and and tips on that is that's the probably the best time to work on things like structural balance, um, you know, because there's nothing better than a a little to no carbohydrate diet to make step ups and external rotations difficult, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that's always the the and, and that's how I see the incorporation of biosignature and PXEP. You know, okay, well, how, well, how do I make these workouts difficult? is I can start to incorporate strongman implements and strongman style training for structural balance while still eliciting an appropriate level of demand to, to draw on fat loss. But I, you know, I think one of the things that we see lots of times is that it's, it's really not so much a, an activity level problem of, of the fat gaining, you know, it's a, it's a nutritional problem. It's a, you know, we, like we, we hear people talk about the, you know, eat less exercise more and all that. And there's some people I'm sure still need to hear that message that it's still relevant for, but I think by and large, at least the people that come to us, right? Like I, I rarely get someone 
who just decided yesterday that they need to lose 50 pounds or they're going to have a heart attack. Like, I, I'm, you know, that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but by and large, the, the, the world that I live in, right. I, I, so I have a client who just started training with me a few months ago who has lost, I think 200 pounds um, in the last couple of years, you know, like morbidly obese, pre-diabetic became diabetic history, all that stuff. Right. So, you know, again, with a guy like that, like if we, if we look at him, he's lost 200 pounds, he's still hundred pounds overweight, but like this, this guy doesn't deserve to back squat yet. You know, it, it, it looks like crap. He's got terrible posture. So how do we, how do we remedy that? Well, let's change this diet. Let's get you on, you know, a higher protein, more fat than carbs types of diet. And then the training has to match it. So we're going to do things to fix all these problems. You know, 12 weeks from now, you're going to be able to back squat like, like gangbusters and, and this weak VMO and this ankle mobility issue and the structural problem in, in your shoulders is going to be gone. And then we're, we're coming off. So, you know, you, too many people, too many younger coaches in particular, I think get hung up on the 12 week transformation, you know, and they think every client that's overweight has to be a 12 week transformation. And, you know, it, that, like that was one of the mistakes that I made a lot with the getting a client 12 chin-ups in 12 weeks, you know, like uh, this guy not going to do 12 chin-ups in 12 weeks. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no. But, you know, six months from now, we may be able to start a progression where I can get him from zero chin-ups to 12 chin-ups, but we got to get him leaner first and we got to get him healthy first. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a missing link. I think uh, of just how, how we can get someone healthy and, and to the stuff that we've, been talking about a lot the last few years with uh with the high low model you know for for people like that you know your your high day might be a structural balanced day and your low day could simply be just low intensity steady state types of cardio you know uh because you just can't handle it and there's a there's a real elegant simplicity into those types of models and and those types of thinking where you can make a substantial change and not really have to be that intricate um, or sorry, not, not have to be that elaborate with training because the client just doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and this is actually from Mike Boyle. He, uh, when he talked about working with a beast client about back squatting, he's like, I don't need to back squat. I'm literally every time I have them stand up, they're squatting 300 pounds. Right. And like he's like that. You don't realize the, how difficult it is to do these basic things that we take for granted. Um, which is saying, well, chin-ups or anything else of that matter, which are obviously everyone's going to sit there and say like the most linear path to improving muscle mass is to do these compound multi-joint movements with progressive overload, et cetera. But if you simply have the person's gasping for air, just walking into the door, you have a lot bigger things to worry about, which, you know, as a whole, you know, I, I look at this as, as let's start to focus on what's going to make a long-term, but also to short-term change. And, you know, you, you talked about this briefly within that, that last point you were talking about, but, you know, this idea of insulin resistance and, you know, what the systemic problems of that are in regards to, of like this dynamic of, Sorry, just turn off Bluetooth. This dynamic of 
All right. Well, if they're insulin resistant, which we can look at a couple ways, right? H1AC levels, or we can look at it from where they're storing body comp, whether it's cortisol levels in the umbilical, subscap, or um, or superiliac. And then we kind of break it down into this next level of I see this level of insulin resistance, and I can go in this direction of do I want to address this with time restricted feeding? Do I want to address this with ketogenic, which, you know, really, if you look at it from a ketogenic pr- approach is a, a fasting mimicking diet, right? Like carbohydrates is the pretense of what fasting is really built around. Like, do I have quote unquote immediate energy intake or not? And then this next level of, okay, what are some things to initiate beta versus alpha cell receptor site sensitivity on these levels of that? Now, so my question off of this is, I guess the setup of this is, is insulin insulin resistance impactful on the immune system? And then from there is, as a strength coach and someone is hopefully trying to set this person up for long-term success is, you know, what is your thought of how do we improve their immune system by improving their insulin sensitivity? So with, if we look at something like insulin resistance, right? Uh, so first with inflammation, we generally... At its you know absolute core, we can think of inflammation really two two main ways, and this I think helps conceptualize what it actually is because we know like oh inflammation's bad you know the fire within, but what is it like what actually is inflammation? Well, it's it's either too many protons or not enough electrons, right? Like when it when it comes down to it, that's what it actually is. And when we look at insulin resistance, right, it, it's an abundance of something primarily of hydrogen peroxide, which is going to be too many protons and not enough electrons. So that's like, that's your, your root cause of, of the, of the inflammation, right? That's what's stopping the signal from getting the job done is it's being turned off because there's an abundance of something and we have to mitigate that. So when we, when we get into inflammation, right. And that response is basically dictated by the immune system. Uh, so when we look at things like exercise or, or acute exercise, that's not lower intensity, that's not steady state, we see that it stimulates the, uh, the interchange of the innate immune system cells, uh, and the components between lymph, lymphoid tissue and, and the blood compartment. So it, you know, we see that exercise sort of makes and facilitates this change. So we see more white blood cells moving around. There's improved immune surveillance against against pathogens that's going to reduce systemic inflammation and it's even going to reduce acute inflammation because we we see an increase in immunoglobulins which kind of that's part of their job right and their natural killer cells t cells b cells all these things become more efficient when we decrease uh, body fat because that the presence of body fat is you know inherently an increase in inflammation um, and does not always a detrimental increase in inflammation, right? You can have body fat and it not necessarily be horrible, but once you start to get in, in, in abundance signals, stop working properly. And, and if you've got too many macrophages doing stuff to fat cells, you're not going to have them doing what they need to do to help layer new muscle tissue on, you know, like the, that this is one of the things I think that 
like the when I was with uh, the MMA team that I really, really, really had to hammer home is don't train when you're sick. You know, like you're I understand why you're doing that and you don't want to be a, a weenie and you've got to appear tough. But like we have to understand it. You're either going to not recover from training or you're not going to recover from the cold. You're not going to do both. Um, and so that like that's one of those lessons, you know, that that you can really only learn by. Uh, screwing up a few times, you know, but that's a good point. Cause a lot of people who are obese are chronically ill, right? Like exactly. Yeah. So you're always fighting some sort of mild infection or some sort of autoimmune compromised state or just yes. immunocompromised state. So you have to fix that first, right? They're constantly yes. sick. You see them get the more upper respiratory issues. You see them get more colds and flus. You just see them in a more vulnerable state. So again, back to your point of like, we got to fix this problem first, um, which yeah. is profound thought. Yeah. <laughs> and hammering. So like hammering that person with cluster training and super high intensity interval training or, you know, whatever the, the cool thing is, it's not going to help them in the, in the long run. Right. You mm-hmm. may get, you may get some juice from that in the short term, but, but by and large, like that is going to do more harm than good because these chronic problems. And I, I think, you know, we, we, people in our situations, like specifically more like me and you, I guess, don't tend to see people that messed up. However, you can, you, you can, and absolutely should apply that concept to the stressed out business executive. That's 18% body fat, you know, and, and you'll get a really good result from that mm-hmm. just by, just by like helping this person de-stress, yeah. um, you know, because like it, somebody that cares about training is will think about it and they will know and they will there's always some sort of anxiety component whether it be high or 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 moderate and we know what that does to the immune system right that anxiety increases lactate and we know what lactate does and then so if that's not getting utilized that's going to have downstream effects that aren't positive in in some situations and then you've got the whole like neurotransmitter stress cascade and what cortisol can then do to insulin and all these things snowball where you could just, you know, stop trying to impress everyone with how much, you know, pull back on the reins just enough and allow this person to recover so that they can then train hard. And it, you know, it's, it's hard to do as a younger coach. Like I, I remember, you know, I'm, if you aren't crawling out the door no matter how healthy you are by the end of this session, like I, I I can't have you walk out of here and not be, not be exhausted and tell your friends how much I kicked your ass. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, now I'm to the point where, yeah, we may, you know, we may just do some loaded stretching to, to increase your mobility, you know, with 25% of the load you're capable of doing because that's what you need right now. And that's, that's one thing I've, I've had to do with, uh, with the client that, that lost all that weight is his so so he was referred to me by uh what i could only call her as a as like my ultimate badass uh female just a freaking workhorse man um and that's why he wanted to work with me because he wanted that level of of ass kickery mm-hmm. and we see the guy move and like i'm sorry man like you you know I, i've got i had him on density blocks his first phase of training and it was not that difficult but like he can't squat can't split squat posture is horrible 
like we've got to fix these things before you get to the fun stuff. And if you, like I said before, if you can make someone just feel better, that like that's the win, you know, like we've, we've got to start getting small wins. And I think too, too many of us, yeah, it's this weird dichotomy, right? Cause you'll hear a smart coach say, well, anybody can kick your ass and make you feel like shit. And then that same coach will take someone who shows up feeling like shit and they'll make them feel worse. Yeah. <laughs> and, and where that is a badge of honor. I mean, I like kicking people's asses just as much as the next guy. That's the hypertrophy camp was nothing but that, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we've got to get better. That's why I, I really, really, really like the high low model in some of those instances. And, we get a we get a hard day of training and you know hard's relative at this point right hard might be might be a 30 second prowler push with a five minute rest because i I don't think people get that like i've I've had clients that a one to six one to five work to rest ratio is intense cardio yeah when the effort's put into it right and and like you've got to start there with some people you know like Mm -hmm. you'll get people that are too overweight to leg press because it's dangerous with all the pressure that builds up like they'll They'll stroke out, right? Like that's, that's happened before. That's not a good thing. Um, And same thing, you know, same thing with prowlers, right? Like you, you get somebody too overweight, a low handle prowler push could be way worse for them than, uh, you know, a sled drag. So we've got to, got to get better as a whole kind of pulling back and, and knowing when to push and when to not, when I went to baby, that's not the right word, but you know, when to, when to pull back, like, Hey, we got, you know, you, you need to do this. You'll, you'll feel better. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you mentioned at the beginning that this inflammation, just this balance between protons and electrons. And, you know, one of the areas that's probably most regulated is within the mitochondria, um, which is a big part of it. And one of the things that, you know, it's actually something that I pulled a long time ago from this book, Paleo Manifesto by John Durant was, you know, hibernating based animals actually make themselves insulin resistant in the fall to put as much adipose tissue on as possible so they can one stay warmer throughout the winter months and then two become less efficient so they can maintain their body mass longer through hibernation and the way they get out of that is through fasting because food scarcity and then essentially cold right so yep. it, it, it gives a pretense into like time restricted feeding fasting um again seasonal eating right another big check yeah. box of that but like you know eating foods that are more available in the winter months are going to be you know probably more you know, more fat dense and things like that nature but the other part would be you know exposure to cold but what do those two things do you know time restricted feeding ketogenic diets and cold thermogenesis is increased proliferation or the expansion or mitochondria or mitogenesis of within certain cells and one of the things that i think is profound thought is when we look at the traditional white fat, brown fat, is the distribution of mitochondria within that. And what is that really doing? When we start to increase the shiver mechanism or um, cold thermogenesis, or we start to create a more fundamental need to become more fat adapted, is increase our ability to utilize or balance that proton electron or increase our ability to use the fatty acids as energy and that white adipose tissue, which is, has less mitochondria density, because that's the real reality of the situation is brown fat has more mitochondria than white fat. And white fat is pretty much just inert tissue that just stores, <laughs> right. you know, and that process there. But 
if they have a higher distribution of white fat than we want, right? It's just general subcutaneous body fat, specific areas like the umbilical area or for males and then um, for females in the lower body is they are going to be in a chronically inflamed state because you just don't have good mitochondria to handle that proton electron balance. So, you know, with that being said, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, going into that, that discussion at the beginning of the efficacy of something like biosig, it's, I can tell you right now, you're not really in a good place from an efficiency standpoint because you're storing body fat in these areas, which is a time to, it's accepted across all, all medical establishments, android and gynoid body types are at higher risk for metabolic syndrome or cardiovascular disease or estrogenic diseases like cancer. You know, this is accepted that they are, these are risk factors and waist to hip ratios, a accepted form of measurement for the medical establishment to say these people are at risk for certain diseases. To say that from a standpoint of training influence and training inputs that these people are just not very efficient and they're not going to be able to handle that training stress based off of this body type that's storing fat in these areas that just simply can't have a lot of mitochondria. So I guess my very long preamble to this question would be, you know, is that your thought with your client that's now working through this stuff is he's just not efficient and we need to improve his mitochondria amount density or as you talked about about muscle mentorship not even just amount the actual efficiency of the mitochondria you have you know what are the the thoughts of like is this a mitochondria amount from having more white fat tissue or is this a mitochondria efficiency from this person has enough body mass to say there's enough circulating or there's enough mitochondria in his body to say that we can utilize this energy in a positive way you know what is your what is your point to say? How do you determine that? Or if you are, are you just saying, we're just going to improve mitochondria in a general capacity? What, what's your thought there? So we have, I think this is where, you know, what Charles really believed to his core kind of get, gets uh, mis, misinterpreted or, or mal applied. Um, because again, if you look at the concept of your experience shapes your beliefs, the majority of people that Charles worked with were maybe 10% higher body fat than optimal, right? So we're, I mean, you know, we're talking 18 to 20% at the worst, but, you know, we, we will encounter people um, in, I mean, sometimes even in attending the course of biosignature that have certain areas that are just too fat to pinch, you know? And so when we get to that point, it becomes the the issue of, okay, this person has far more defective mitochondria than than good mitochondria right but you know if you're looking at somebody that's uh, a world-class sprinter who's nine percent instead of seven their mitochondria are doing pretty damn good we just need to make them a little bit more efficient well when we get to somebody who's 20 percent, 26 percent, or or you know even higher than that they have defective mitochondria, right? And that's, we know now that that's sort of the root cause of all of these problems, right? The, the signal uh, that the dephosphorylates the insulin receptor substrate comes from mitochondria. So like, we know all these things now. So when we have this deeper understanding of, of root causes of issues, right? That's supposed to be the whole thing with anything functional medicine is root cause, right? So if I, I've got a proton-electron issue at its core, protons-electrons are the primary 
you know, molecules or, or atoms of, of mitochondria. So what, what can I do to then improve this person's actual mitochondrial function? We know you can give them uh, a few targeted nutrients and supplementation protocols that can help the mitochondria function better. And then we also know that you can do training modalities that will either make more mitochondria or less mitochondria. And that's one of the, like the density things with training is if I've got a training modality that causes uh, mitochondrial fission, I'm going to be making more mitochondria. Not a bad thing if you've got a pretty efficient mitochondria, but if I've got a, an overweight person with really crappy mitochondria, I need to make less of those mitochondria so that the mitochondria can repair themselves more efficiently, right? So we get into like a fission fusion aspect and we know that more, uh, you know, cardio types of training elicit that fusion response. They don't elicit the multiplying mitochondria, right? Because essentially the, we don't really make more or less mitochondria. They'll either split uh, fission or they'll come together in fusion and it becomes then easier to repair itself. So if we can start to apply that and, you know, even, even if you're going to use resistance training, which I still think is the best way to do that. However, you can get that effect from strongman types of resistance training, right? Which is something as simple as a mated carry, um, a sled drag, right? Very simple things. You can still get a resistance training stimulus, but also elicit the adaptation at its core that really gets to the root cause of the problem, which is more mitochondrial efficiency. And then you can start to layer things like the cold that helps essentially what, what cold thermogenesis does is helps you get rid of excess protons. Right. Uh, and so if I'm looking at inflammation, that's one of the like most outstanding things we can do for inflammation. We just have to pair it appropriately. So if we pair cold, like just like you were talking before with the um, evolutionary aspect of biology, if I can start to pair cold with the food substrates that that sort of facilitate improvement in that, uh, the systems really start working really well. And I think that's been the problem in the past where you know you, you can improve performance on a ketogenic, esque diet but if you're trying to do bodybuilding milos sarsev style training it's probably not the best marriage of of ideas right but you can you can get stronger in that type of diet you can get leaner for sure in that type of diet you can get more powerful in that type of diet but things like cold thermogenesis specific light exposure choosing your food sources choosing your fats and your even your fat source at different times of year, choosing that properly can really help facilitate proper performance in those environments and, and get, you know, the name of the game is getting the best results faster than, than the competition. Right. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned the, the two parts there, one being the, the strong man from a beast client getting success is profound, right? Like this, you know, you do a body weight oriented resistance, like let's say you're doing pull-ups, dips, et cetera. Like they're going to, they're going to feel so dejected and demoralized yeah. and there's zero chance of ever getting through this versus 
hey, carry this 100-pound dumbbell 30 yards. And they like, I fucking crushed that. Great. Awesome. Or pull this sled backwards for 100 yards. And they do it and they can get it and they can do it right away and it can be successful. Yeah. And they have, and probably with their body mass and momentum they create, they can probably be more successful than the 180 pound, 6% body fat. <laughs> and, but it's all about getting wins, right? It's about creating that you can, exactly. be, you can be successful. I'm going to set you up for success so I can see you again in two days and we get right back at it within those two days. I want you to drink water. I want you to sleep. I want you to be conscious with these foods that you're eating. Um, but there was another point you talked about, which this fusion aspect, and this was obviously a big part of your talk, what you talked about in muscle mentorship. I, I want you to go back to the first thing you said at muscle mentorship, what was the outcome of oxygen in the system is H2O. Is that right? Yep. And that happens within? The mitochondria. And <laughs> if I'm more efficient at delivering oxygen to the peripheral of my body, that's got to be handled in the mitochondria. And one of the things that is so profound is if you're producing water from the mitochondria, which going through that whole electron transport chain, uh, and not the Krebs cycle, obviously, right? The citric acid cycle. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, glycolysis, citric acid cycle, electron transport chain, ATP synthase has a spin and then creates ATP and then H2O. Uh, that H2O makes its way out of the body and then the cycle is complete. But if we're looking at this from, and this is why respiration and it's why most fat is excreted through respiration and not through like feces or urine, which is a common thing, right? If I'm producing more CO2, it means I'm producing more H2O throughout the system and then I'm eliminating it through respiration. But we look at it from that first start point, if I can deliver more oxygen to the peripheral, it goes back again to, okay, how how is my body being asked to produce energy and if it's very fast and it's very intense and i don't have a high level of oxygen per beat my stroke volume is down the actual oxygen delivered per beat is lessened the mitochondria become less activated and all of a sudden i don't have this outcome of producing atp through fatty acid synthesis pathway or fatty acid pathways acetylcarnitine going through the whole whole uh process there we just described you're not going to get to that outcome right so we're trying to teach these people to become more efficient with the mitochondria they have and all we're doing is again high intensity interval sprints which in a controlled setting with obese people in a short-term response they increase their metabolic rate long-term wise we see we don't know right because we're only looking at this in small compartments of taking someone who's fasted and obese and and doing one Tabata sprint and saying, okay, this is a great way to lose weight. Okay. There's some problems with that kind of methodology, right? Because <laughs> we all been there of like, that was really effective. We made them tired, but we didn't make them better. And you know, we're seeing this as like this fitness evolution of taking hit and interval based training with biomechanically stuff that's improperly designed as well. But, you know, we're seeing these interventions from a metabolic standpoint that's just not really well constructed or designed based off of the 
what the functional needs of that person are. They don't need to burn more calories. They need to be more efficient with the calories they have. And if we have no delivery system of bringing oxygen, because cardiac output is so poor from stroke volume being so so small, and we're not actually creating any capillary uh, capillary expansion, you know, meaning that we're delivering more oxygen-rich blood to the more peripheral parts of our body, specifically these inert tissue, like you know, white adipose tissue, and then the oxygen pure molecule of actual like hemoglobin being delivered out there to the peripheral, the mitochondria never really has a function or never really is needed, right? We're never getting to that point. We're just going glycolysis to to lactate and then that lactic acid is circulating and then just this cycle of, okay, we don't need mitochondria really to do much because we're never getting to that part because <laughs> we're not producing H2O or we're not going through ATP synthase and we're not reversing and reversing all the way down to citric acid cycle. And then, uh, and then looking at acetyl-CoA is never really produced and that's when we see this ROS start to be produced in a negative way and we start to see all these downstream pathways that we get a bad rap and you talked a lot about ROS being not necessarily a negative it's understood and and uh and really appreciated what the actual functional thing is going on there but for most of our obese clients it's just the fusion aspect not producing the right outcomes the the setup of fitness is wrong, right? Like our highs are structural balance, our lows are improving that fusion aspect, that efficiency aspect to get them set up for that. And what we see and going back again to this full circle kind of thing is they're not going to get as sick as frequently. They're going to be able to make it through a full training week without waking up feeling like they're completely like drained of all energy or you start even seeing sleep disruption, right? Because once the thing, yes, like, yeah. this, this whole thing of like getting these people moving more and being more efficient is you see other things emerge, right? They have disruptive sleep and they start to urinate more at night or they start to sweat more at night and they're just, their body's unloading. And this is always the fun part when going through something with weight loss of like the second order, which is like, hey, there's a lot of endotoxins and estrogens associated with that fat and there's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen here <laughs> phase one and phase two liver pathways and the renal system and all sorts of other stuff and it's going to happen probably in inconvenient times like two o'clock in the morning and we got to manage that and you got to wake up and you got to hydrate and you know we got to keep hydrating you got to remove high fructose and we got to remove other things that are going to clog up the system but i digress from that level of this fusion aspect, which was such a profound thought and the production of oxygen's purpose is to produce H2O within the mitochondria, this full circle thing of, we just don't have those tools. If we just have an abundance of white adipose tissue and, and we're D we're limited in this mitochondria. Um, so I want to kind of get into this, this next step of, all right, this person is hell bent on, Hey, I'm going to go till I break. I'm an MMA guy. I'm a, I'm a strong man competitor. And they're telling you this and they say, yeah, but every single like training cycle, like I always get, you know, some sort of flu or cold halfway through and it just derails me, you know, like obviously we, 
we know probably fundamentally why that is, but how do you explain to that diehard, even like marathoners, right? Their, their biggest limiting factor is upper respiratory illness, right? They're, it's yeah. not, it's probably less stress fractures and more flus <laughs> and pneumonia as a limiting factor to marathons and ultra marathoners or even cyclists or any like distance or endurance athlete. Like, but these things are, you know, popping up. So working with elite level athletes, distance, more anaerobic athletes like strongman, powerlifters, weightlifters, et cetera. But they're all hitting this like proverbial roadblock. You know, what are the, the signs and markers who someone's running around pretty, pretty lean and you're going, okay, this is setting up for a big crash here. Like, are you seeing anything before that? Do you know of anything that you can kind of like lean in on that you can kind of go, okay, I need to be out in front of this. So if we go, you know, from the, from the deepest level, uh, the, some of the blood markers, right. HSCRP will start to change negatively. It'll go up a little bit, um, you know, downstream of that homocysteine is probably going to go up. You'll start to see some methylation problems. Um, but I mean, on the, the simplest level, you'll start to see sleep. Mm. Uh, sleep is, is usually going to go wrong first. Um, cause quality, you know, quality or quantity or both quality. I'd say quality first and then quantity is generally what I've, what I've experienced. You, they stop sleeping as much and you know, they kind of go hand in hand, right? If, cause if, if your sleep is phenomenal, you don't really need as much of it. Mm. Um, if it's efficient, right. That's, that's kind of a problem is sleep efficiency. Uh, when you, when you hit the pillow, you know, ideally 30 minutes, you should be asleep. So are you hitting the pillow and not falling asleep? Are you restless? You know, all, all, all those issues. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think sleep for, for the practitioner that has limited tools at their disposal, what is your sleep quality quantity? You know, let's, let's do a, a diagnostic sleep hygiene, you know, discussion. Let's see what that's like. And then how are you feeling when you wake up in the morning? Because if you're, you know, if you're wired and exhausted before bedtime, or if you're tired and you can't sleep or can't fall asleep or don't feel rested when you wake up, we know that we know something's coming. Right. And, and we got to get ahead of that quickly. And that's a, that's a hard thing for a, for a younger coach because you and I, you know, now are both like somebody, somebody shows up, Hey, how you feeling? The, the tracking that you guys have at Allegiant on your, uh, on the apps and everything, right? Like before every session we hit your questionnaire, you know, I mean, at this point I have no problem saying peace out. You come back tomorrow. If you feel good, we'll reevaluate or, you know, worst next worst case scenario, we're just going to do some grip training and maybe a little bit of abs and calves today. So it's not, you know, you're going to get your money's worth, but we're not, you're not going to leave here in a, in a pool of blood and guts. Mm -hmm. um, and those are, you know, those are the simplest ones, man. Like you can, like I said, we can, we can get into it where if we're tracking the problem with, with discussing it in terms of labs is, well, how, how often are you really tracking these labs? You know, <laughs> from, from week one to week three of my training cycle, am I really going to know what your HSCRP is doing? Doubtful, doubtful. Uh, and that is one of the biggest benefits that, you know, clinically and, and anecdotally I see with biosignature is that we can have a very acute idea of what is probably happening, right? Just from a clinical standpoint, we don't know for sure, but 20 years of trends tell us when your cheek and your chin get a little fatter, you're a little bit more inflamed or your hamstring 
or your cortisol measurement was dropping and dropping and dropping. And then now it's three millimeters higher. What, you know, whatever the case may be in terms of our trends, the, the chin and the cheek are, are the fastest and the first to change. And Mm. I think if you've ever seen anyone lose weight, anybody listening to this, what do you notice first their face? That's generally the first things that change. And, and clinically from doing this, you know, for quite some time, doing a biosignature assessment from Monday to Monday, if that client drank a lot or had a very uh, indulgent weekend, the chin and the cheek change on Monday. I mean, within within 48 hours, those measurements change. Uh, and, you know, because they, they change quickly. Some of the other ones, not so much. So that's a, that becomes a really valuable tool to have in your toolbox. And, and if we're, if we're looking at very acute assessments, a uh, grip, grip assessment is huge, right? If you show up and the, the neurological connection in your grip is not there, something's off. And then mm-hmm. we can backtrack that. Well, okay, let's talk about your sleep again, because something's not adding up here. And, and when you do this long enough, you'll, you don't think about it as much as you should at first, you know, oh, okay, we did, we did Hepburn method on Monday and they show up on Tuesday. They didn't sleep great. And we did Hepburn method again for legs on Tuesday <laughs> and they show up on Thursday for Hepburn method for arms. And now they, you know, just end up, it's just a wreck. Yeah. And then we do Hepburn method again for arms. And then they miss the next week of training because now they've got, you know, sinus infection or the flu or whatever it is. Whereas they show up, you know, so I, one of the, the, the stories I like to tell is I was, so I was training a guy for, um, for pro day and, uh, we were doing, I think it may have been, we did Hepburn on one day and the rest of his week was like power cleans or something like that. But we did Hepburn day one and he shows up on day two, sick, hoodies on, you know, and this is this is where assessments really make a difference that you have to pay attention to, right? Because this guy always came in with a smile. Hey, coach, how's it going? You know, just ready to go, man. It's just an awesome kid to be around. Like the, the, one of the, if you could describe an ideal athlete to coach, it would be, you know, Nate Norwood. It would be this kid. And he shows up the day after the hood's on, his face is down, you know, <clears throat> that kind of thing, the whole, the whole session. And it's just not there. And so I sent him home, you know, like before the warm up was over, like, this is this is worth, man, go home, come back on Friday. Uh, and this was on Tuesday. Pissed, man. Like you, you send an athlete like that home. They are not happy, not happy at all. Right. They're, yeah. they're there to work. Made him take those days off. We took some, uh, some high dose glutamine. Shows up on Friday, hoods down, smiles back. We're ready to work. We have a great session. And, you know, we missed two training days, but we had no setbacks. His performance the following Monday was better. And I can go back in the past where I didn't have the guts as a coach to send someone home or change my program and give them something lower intensity that wasn't going to be demanding. Uh, You can look back at those programs and see, you know, almost a month's month's worth, worth of negative results. Whereas if I had just taken a couple of days off extra, some nutritional support to help the immune system, you know, we're good to go. We, we didn't miss any ground and we're actually better than we were before this happened. That in itself of like, just marry yourself to an outcome, not a solution is easily one of the biggest lessons as a coach, anyone can kind of endeavor to right? like, um, and that process of like being exposed to that knowledge of like, oh, I'm aware of Hepper method and that's a profound training program that I could do with someone if the context or the situation or the environment allows for it. It's a big exactly. if. 
Big <laughs> if, right? Big and, if. And it's funny, like one of the first things we always ask coach, well, what do you want to do? Like, oh, I want to work with elite level athletes. Like, okay, well, what, why do you want to do that? Like, oh, I really want to help people. I'm like, you don't help elite level athletes. You manage <laughs> elite level athletes. There's a huge difference. Like they're good regardless, right? They're going to be good. They're going to be good sometimes in spite of you, right? You can almost <laughs> do too much and, or you can do the wrong thing. This is why it's so hard for the people that work so hard to know every possible training bed intervention that simply just lacks of this context of it doesn't matter for someone with God given ability like that, you know, like this, yeah. if they got it, they got it. Probably the better thing you could do is just mentor and support and just keep them on track and stay consistent, which is why so many people struggle with like certain college or or NFL level strength coaches. Like if I had their job, I could do this. Like you don't actually you don't you couldn't because you don't want to have that skill set. The it's not a soft skill. It's a I know my role here. It's to make sure that this person just has a really great week and is set up for success in a different way versus the person that you need to help that client you talked about that is morbidly obese lost 200 pounds but just is stuck right like this is a critical juncture for that person to not go back as well as hey there's some a lot of things that we still need to work on here and there's a profound level of influence here but the same token too it's like i gotta temper this area that he knows i can go to and i know i can go there I'm confident I go there. I just know the right thing is different. And that's where it becomes a really interesting thing for a young coach or any coach for that matter to go, why are you doing this? If it's, I want to help people and I want to work with elite level athletes, they're not one and the same, not in the way you think they are. Helping <laughs> an elite level athlete is, is a lot managing and a lot supporting. It's, Yep. It's not developing. It's really not. They don't need you for that. They, trust me, what you actually will do with them might be more counterproductive than you actually might think. <laughs> right. um, on the other level, though, it's that person that's just, I mean, they are just so susceptible and vulnerable to any bit of hearsay or things that are just, I don't say, like, ploying on their, like, insecurities, right? Like, you're overweight, you're unhappy, you're depressed. You're not, you're not content with your job or your relationships. Here's the magic bullet and they buy it and they do it and they fail and they rebound and they have this like inverted response to that because it's not what they need. And you as the practitioner, the person that's either knows the higher level physiological reasoning as to why they're there or what's actually going to be the outcome of that, or you just simply have a better, a better context dependent awareness of this is this is good. It's just not good for you. And I need to help you understand that, appreciate that. But here's something that quite frankly is going to be almost too good to be true, but it's going to be so effective. You're going to be blown away. It's called sleep. It's called drinking more water. <laughs> it's called being more conscious of stress and your immune system and, and just simple things like that. Eating seasonally, like it doesn't grow right now. Don't eat it. Like very simple, intuitive things. Like it's almost like, yeah, I know that then. Okay my job now is since you do know that is to make sure you do that and that's not it's not the sexiest thing in the world but if you want to help people that's where you got to start to really lean in is going they know the difference they know what they're doing i just need to make sure they're doing it or they don't know how to do it they don't know what to do they don't know why they're doing it okay i need to be better at 
translating that information for them so they do know why they're doing it and what to do you know and it's that back and forth and someone's Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's the most rewarding thing in the world. Sometimes it's the most frustrating thing. And you're banging your head against the wall. Like, can't do this program with you today because of X, Y, and Z. And we got to fix X, Y, and Z before we can do this Hepburn method or 6, 12, 25 or whatever else looks sexy or provocative. Because um, you know the outcome, right? It's going to be three days from now, you're going to be sick as a dog and <laughs> with net zero. Um, okay, so... I want to, I want to close this out because this was like, I, and granted, I, I mean, this is probably the best I've ever heard you talk about trying to um, temper the depth you can go and everything. I think you're doing, <laughs> you're doing an amazing job of like not going there. I could, and I think everyone who's listening to this just knows Rob can go as deep as any human being has ever gone into the. <laughs> The metabolism, the physiology, uh, the chemistry, everything that goes on within the the cell. Um, as much as I'm trying to goad him into it, he's not taking the bait. <laughs> fantastic. Um, so I want to kind of you know uh, finalize this with you know this idea of, and this could be centered around biosig. It's and this is I think a good point to say. Okay with your obese client right now, how are you saying you are doing a good job, you personally with him, right? I wanna figure out how you determine what's a good job with this guy. And and uh, is that agreed upon with him? Um, which it, it sometimes might not be, right? It's This isn't what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to just fuck me up for three months. Right. I, that's how I say Rob did a good job, right? Or is it, Hey, I help this person make progress and it might be a residual effect that he doesn't get the full impact until a year from now. Like what is a good job for you with this obese client? Cause I think this is something we all kind of struggle with. Right. And I, yeah. I, I don't know if it's like playing the long game and it might not be directly correlated to me, or is it that short-term intervention that gets that immediate validation of like, thank you for fucking me up and making me tired. Cause this is <laughs> You know, what, what, how do you determine you did a good job with someone like that, right? Because there's so many areas you can go. So there's a few, I think a few main things that that I'm having to be better at with, with this situation, right? And it's, you know, number one, establishing the expectation with this person that, you know, in your current state, you do not deserve to do this type of training. It is not going, it's not going to help you. you. You can't do it right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I get this, so it kind of goes back to that. We talk about with strong man and structural balance, you know, I, I've had people so overweight and immobile that they can't do a split squat or a step up. And like, that's a very real problem when you get into quality, because what you'll, what you'll end up seeing is, you know, you, somebody will regress a, a, a split squat to, you know, a knee high box with a and you're supporting yourself well at that point you're not it's not the the purpose of the exercise right yes i need to get them more flexible but i mean in that instance like pails and rails and things like that where you're getting muscle contraction and it requires a substantial amount of effort if you do it right like the way you guys do it at Allegiant. i was tired just watching that more about Mm -hmm. bro um, you know, well, you're so sitting there and it has this appearance, you're doing nothing, but if you do it intense, all that matters, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, so that goes to the next point. Like, so, so number one, you don't deserve to do this yet. We're going to get there. 
Number two, let's let's look at the effort that you're putting into the exercises that we're doing, right? If we need to improve your anterior tib and your your anterior tib strength and your soleus flexibility uh, to help you get to the point where you can do a back squat or a proper deadlift or your external rotation and your trap three work, let's talk about your effort on those exercises, right? And that's a, I mean, and even with your effort on, on things like sled drags and farmer's walks, the, the, the effort on those types of carries, you know, how many times have you seen someone do that exercise, do a backward sled drag for, okay, you've only got 20 meters. I think that's like a reasonable expectation at this point in a gym, right? Yeah. And in some gyms, you're lucky to have 20 meters. So how you program those exercises, you know, like you can tell anybody to drag a sled a hundred yards and it, the weight almost doesn't even matter. You know, yeah, if it's leaning back and just falling forward, yeah, and falling into it, it momentum <laughs> carrying it. Yeah. And if it's remotely challenging, that set's probably going to be effective. But if you've only got 20 meters to get the job done, you got to get a little more creative with your, your application of those things and making sure that the effort level is appropriate. So, you know, if I finish my set of six to eight on external rotation and, and I'm not having to work for it, well, let's talk about your effort, right? Like, no wonder this doesn't feel challenging. You're not, you're not being challenged. Mm. You know, I, I, I tell, you know, some of my male clients all the time that it, it takes a, it takes a man's man to struggle with two and a half pounds. <laughs> you know, I mean, and because it really does like to to be comfortable and open to the fact that I can take this, you know, trap three version exercise and two and a half pounds just absolutely wrecks me. And I go from no sweat to just pouring sweat in one set because I'm working so hard. Like that's a big deal. And I don't think a lot of people a lot of coaches really commit to that, you know, like they, you put external rotations and trap three at the end of a session, uh, you run out of time, the client needs to do them by themselves or, you know, whatever the case may be there, there's no real importance placed upon that exercise, you know, and like we see powerlifters do that kind of thing all the time, right? You're, you do a, a thousand band press downs at the end, at, but it looks like trash, you know, you're doing biceps curls that look awful, but, you video every single set of bench press and squat and deadlift and are drawing and making sure your angles are right. But any exercise outside of those three exercises, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter the effort they put into it. It's, you know, it's a meaningless exercise that they're just, it's really a time filler. But if we, if we apply, what's your effort to, to this sled drag, you know, we got it. We got a 20 meter sled drag. I need that to take 40 to 60 seconds. How do we pull that off so we can deserve a rest interval of three to five minutes? What you know, whatever it is, and the and the same thing. So if if I'm going to make external rotation and anterior tib and those types of exercises my high day exercises, mm-hmm. which they absolutely can be, if that's what that person needs, you've got to make sure that the effort is actually there. You know that that every set is a struggle because those things are super hard especially if that's what that person needs like those things are ridiculously hard probably harder than um a row or even a split squat if that's where their real weakness is to get good at it so i and and you know in imparting into the client that look this is like the effort on this is what you need you should i've done this you should be this tired after this you know rinky dinky remedial exercise so it's, you know, it, it, and it's difficult to get comfortable enough with your own abilities. I, I think that's a, 
in hindsight, that's definitely a a thing that I know I did, and I probably have seen uh, you know other coaches. Like I am comfortable now knowing that I can make a remedial exercise workout extremely effective and and fatiguing. But yeah, and 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 it's those it's those details that we got from people like Charles, you know, a tempo. Right, if you're just doing six to eight with no tempo not paying any attention to, oh yeah, I did eight every set and didn't change my weight. Well, that, that's a problem. That's not good effort, right? That's a terrible effort. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, I think those are, if I would say you had any, any secrets to success in terms of those methods, like that, that's gotta be what it is. It's a, it's a clear expectation. And, and really how many times do you think a client has heard a coach tell them you don't deserve to do this exercise? this is a terrible exercise for you, you know, whereas the gym down the street trainer is going to take their money and, all right, we're going to go do some, you know, some power snatches on a BOSU ball and push a prowler till you throw up on my turf. Like, no, no, you don't, you don't need that, man. Like, no. But we're, we're, some of us are kind of inherently are still stuck in the, the it's- it's a ton to unpack. I mean, I, yeah. the the doing a remedial based thing reminds me of a coach I used to work with, and it's a fantastic line. But he's like, "There's no such thing as extra work. It's necessary and unnecessary, right? And yes. necessary, you should put a lot of conscious effort into it." But I think it goes down again into this idea of you know how you do something, and if, if it's not worth doing correctly, it's probably not worth doing in the first place. Uh, yep. And you know, that level of, of, we talk about it all the time with our folks here is you don't need six crappy days. You'd probably need two to three really good days. And, yes. you know, the question is, is how good are those days determines whether you really can get away with doing two to three days and getting great results. If they're haphazard and kind of like don't really do a good job within the, the setup of those two to three days that we're asking to do, then yeah, you should probably come back to four, five, six, even six days. But if, <laughs> If you really want to maximize this, you know, that, and then it goes into another level of like, it starts with just that simple conversation of, are you comfortable with me telling you, no, you're not, you're not paying me to tell you what you giving you permission to do things that you would already have done without me. Right. Like my professional level of, or my experience or my understanding, you're not paying for validation or permission. You're paying for me to say, that's not a good idea or hey you can do that better or hey i believe in you and i feel like you're doing yourself a disservice by not giving your best effort towards these things that you might look as arbitrary or unnecessary or it's not this direct linear path today it's a very linear path you don't have the immune system you don't have the central nervous system you don't have the skeletal muscular system you don't have all the prerequisite things to do these things as much as you or do the things that are, might be more associated with your direct goal. Like, right. Like I read this article about doing a five by five program with squat bench and deadlift. It's the best way to put on muscle and burn fat. Yes, but not for you because, because <laughs> of these underlying risk factors or these other issues, like this is going to be way more important you to work on this. And we're going to work on zone two cardio. And we're going to work on flexibility. And we're going to work on, improving your lifestyle. I'm going to work on all these other factors. And then when you do that for a period of time, then a program of five by five with squat bench and dead is going to be a really good thing. But here's the caveat. 
you have to do that really well and you have to do that correctly to really get the benefit from doing that. And then it goes into this next level that only be good for a certain period of time. And then what? That's what you're paying me for. It's to give you the right things to do and the right way to do it and the right time to do it. And unfortunately, like the low barrier of entry in our industry is, is allowed for coaches and trainers to be permission granters as opposed to um, best practice and doing things for the right reasons for the person in front of you. And um, confidence and courage uh, is, is a really hard thing. And, you know, may, I may be charging a lot more per hour uh, than that person down the road, but just take solace in knowing that like your things are not uncommon. And I've seen this 10 times, 10,000 times before. And unfortunately it's probably not what you think it's going to be. It's going to be a whole lot different than what you perceive it to be, but it will get you where you want to be if you buy in and you do it correctly. Uh, okay. Um, man, uh, Honestly, I'm actually really stoked on how that went. Like it went a different direction than I thought it was going to be, to be <laughs> um, in a good way, in a really good way. Cause I think you brought a, a ton of really cool practical aspects and God, I, I think that's probably the areas that is so undervalued of like this. I mean, you basically just did several case studies within this last hour, um, which is profound, right? It's like, we went to the extreme of, I'm working with an NFL athlete trying to ready, get ready for his pro day and coming in sick to the other end of the threshold of a person who's lost 200 pounds, but is in desperate need for support. And, you know, you gave really cool solutions off that, not only just from the physiological, but the, the psychological and even the, the internal dialogue as a coach of, is it in all of our collective best interest for me to tell this person we're going to do remedials and then zone two cardio or like strongman stuff? or telling a guy who's in this like eight week window of getting ready for the biggest showcase of his life, you're gonna take the next three days off. Like that, that, that's two different people on both shoulders saying, Rob, like, don't get in the way versus do what's right. Like, you know, like I can, I, I have a better, what's the biggest thing that can happen here? Like, you know, like, I think that's, I think that's the thought part for coaches is like we're, we're humans coaching other humans and we have our biases and our insecurities and our phobias and all the things that are associated with being human, regardless of our knowledge and insight and experiences, we're still going to be vulnerable and susceptible to that in the moment situation of using preference, bias and agendas at any given point. So relying on, into intuition to a point, but also to going, what's the risk reward here is a powerful thing to think about. But uh, I want to finish off, man, any closing thoughts and go in anything like, Hey man, <laughs> if you want to learn more about this, go get biosig Cause it's going to be first step in many. It could be whatever you feel like, Hey, I I've learned this and this is it. So I'll, I'll let you take the floor here and that's how we'll close it, man. So, you know, I think we, we we've touched on it a few times, but it, it goes back to, to having the confidence to do these things as a, as a young coach, it's easy for us as, you know, people who have been coaching 20 plus years to, to do that and just not care. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we care so much. We don't care how you respond to us telling you to go home, but you know, over the years, what I've learned and what's helped me to do that is I've taken the approach that I refuse to allow anyone that trains with me to not get the best results. Like that's what should separate a, a Poliquin coach or an allegiant client or, you know, whoever, 
Um, so, cause what'll happen is if you start to kowtow to that person's, Oh, I need you to train me harder. They're going to break. They're going to not get results, you know, and, and that's, that's the person that stays with you for a short time. Doesn't get results because you didn't do with them what you knew you should to begin with. So I think that's the, you know, in terms of the parting wisdom, that's like, you, you have to have the guts to, to pull that trigger and not don't compromise, you know, the Chick-fil-A is not going to like, we like we talked about earlier, right? Chick-fil-A is, is not going to make a subpar hamburger. They're going to make the best chicken sandwich. Doesn't matter what Popeye's is making or what, you know, whoever else is making you go to Chick-fil-A, you know, you're going to get the best chicken and a drive-through that you could probably possibly get anywhere. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, man, I just thank you for taking the time. Uh, I know you're slammed with everything going on with Pollock performance and your own training and whatnot. So, um, and also too, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. Um, you know, make sure you guys check out outlaw strength, man. Like I, I feel like that's like a, um, it's a hidden gem of stuff. And, uh, I, I can't say it enough. Like, you know, Rob just gives in these situations and this one's particular, like just a, a glimpse of what you could potentially get if you get a consult with them or anything else from Rob in general. But like, you know, the, the depth you can go with Rob is as deep as you can go with anybody as well as there's a lot of practical aspect of, I can talk, I can talk to clients and coaches one the same because I've been in that situation when they're looking at me like, I have no idea what you're saying. And I've had to make (laughs) analogies, metaphors and, and make this understandable as well as, you know, like, you know, I'll be damned if like you can get in there with some of the the greatest minds in this industry of like, let's go there. Let's get as deep as you can possibly get. So it's an amazing interplay of that where um, I feel like it's an underrated thing where you have the great insight, but also the practical side of it too, which again, I can't recommend seeing Rob at BioSig, Hypertrophy Bootcamp with Pollock Performance or just going to Outlaw Strength and, you know, going into it. So I'm thankful for us and our relationship, but also too, like I hope it gets, I hope you get out there and become the most popular guy in all the industry, man. It's (laughs) a ton of really cool insights that you have. And I just, I'm always floored by our conversations, man. So thank you again for the time. Uh, My pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. All right, buddy.